If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Welcome to Game Ass, everybody. Thanks for joining me tonight on the show. It's been a while since Game Ass, about a week, I think. So welcome back. Um, just talking about the latest in gay topics gossip. 
uh, music, culture, etc. So that's why we're here. If you want to call in during the show, you can call in 214-377-0481. And I'm happy to take your call. Otherwise, you can just listen, sit back and listen to the show and enjoy, okay? Anyway, so um, if you want to know more about me, you can get offlimitshow.com. You can go to Spreaker.com. Also on iTunes and on um, Stitcher.com. So feel free to find me wherever you want to find me. If you go to the website, you can listen to the show there live, or you can um, listen to archived shows from this year. If you want to hear any of the shows before that, past 300 shows or so, you can go to um, Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. And be sure when you go there to click on... um, click on like or follow or whatever the button says when you go there um, and comment too. If you have a comment on the show, you can go and comment on Spreaker or you can comment also on, um, on uh, the website. So feel free to let me know what you're thinking. <clears throat> so a lot's been going on in the world of gay <laughs> lately, excuse me. Um, so um, one of the things going on right now, it's kind of big news in the gay world, of course, is, is Johnny Weir. Um, he's having a very, very, um, very, um, tumultuous, um, um, acrimonious, I guess is a better word, um, divorce with his husband, uh, of only, I think a year. They've only been together for about a year, I think. And, um, apparently there's a lot of rumors flying back and forth about what the truth is, but some of the things they've said have been that, um, Johnny says that his, his husband is not, um, living up to his end of the bargain, meaning he's not like picking up the tab everywhere. Johnny pays for everything and his husband's not working and blah, blah, blah. His husband says that Johnny told him to stop working. His husband's an attorney and was an attorney before they met. And after they got married or whatever, he said he wanted to stop working so he could follow him around the world. And, you know, when he went to Sochi and everything else. And, uh, and that's why he's not working because Johnny told him not to. And then um, there's uh, right before they went to Sochi, apparently Johnny bit his husband. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. (laughs) His husband. That was really attractive. His husband on the arm. Um, And uh, during a fight or something, and his husband actually started to file charges against him or did file charges against him for domestic abuse. And I mean, he bit him like he bit like your dog would bite you, like he drew blood or whatever uh, during a fight or something. And um, he actually uh, was going to file uh, domestic abuse charges and was in the process of doing that until Johnny begged him, begged him not to file charges so that he could go to Sochi because if he was arrested and in jail, he wouldn't be able to go to Sochi to perform and do what he was going to do there. So, um, and then Johnny Weir now says that his husband, is a, his ex-husband beat their dog and, and stole his Faberge egg. <laughs> so... I don't know. It sounds like a mess, you know, but this is what's funny to me and what I'm, what I'm glad about, believe it or not, about this story is that it shows that gay people are just as like, just like heterosexuals, you know, sometimes relationships go south and go sour regardless of if you're married or, or, or not. And, um, and oftentimes they're dirty people fight dirty, especially gay men fight dirty. You know, it's funny to see two gay guys going at each other, uh, in this way, in the way you would, you know, like the war of the roses or something. (laughs) Um, because it's, uh, it's, it's just interesting to me, um, to see two guys, you know, uh, fight over it because, as I said, it just makes us look like we're like everybody else, which, which we are, um, which this should just help cement in kind of a negative way. And not negative, but I mean, everybody, you know, and people who, when gay guys get divorced, specifically gay men, 
get divorced or get or separate or whatever. Um, you know, a lot of the naysayers and the anti-gay crowd will say, see, I told you gay relationships don't work. They don't last, blah, blah, blah. And, um, in reality, the reality is more gay couples stay together longer than married heterosexual couples do. There's more divorce and, and uh, separation in the heterosexual world than there is in the gay world. So actually gay relationships generally last longer. Once they're in a relationship, they're usually longer than the, the heterosexual ones uh, in terms of married couples anyway. So um, according to something I read yesterday, I don't remember where, so I can't cite my source, sorry. <laughs> but anyway... Um, so it just kind of shows that we're just like everybody else, but, um, you know, it just gives people more fuel. Uh, you know, it's not the first gay couple to get divorced. And in, uh, some States you can't get divorced at all. If you're gay, like in Texas right now, even if I wanted to divorce my husband, I couldn't because in Texas you can't divorce, um, if you're gay. Um, of course that's just a matter of time until gay marriage is all across the country and recognized in every state by law, but probably a couple of years, I say two years from now, it'll be legal everywhere. Um, but it's, um, so even if I wanted to do that, I couldn't because, um, you know, and Texas doesn't recognize that you have to get divorced in the state you're in, but I don't want to, I'm just saying that if I did, that's what would happen. Um, and then there's this really interesting, do you remember those rocket shaped popsicles from your youth? I'm sure most of you remember what I'm talking about. They were like rocket shaped or whatever, not the ones that had the ridges on them, but the ones are just smooth, like shaped sort of like a penis basically. And, um, then now we're making in, in Sweden, um, they have released a penis shaped popsicle. Um, and it actually looks like a penis. It's weird. At the top of it, it looks kind of funny because of the head, but, uh, you can, you can see it. Um, you can see it if you go to GB glass, which is Sweden's largest ice cream maker, GB glass, G L A C E glass a, or whatever. It's actually friends for ice cream glass, a, whatever glass. I can't remember how you say it in French. It's glass a, I think anyway. Um, but anyway, GB G L A C E. And you can see a picture of it there. Um, but I mean, they're actually making them like a penis shape. So when people are sucking on it, there actually looks like they're sucking on a penis essentially, except it's a rainbow colored penis, basically yellow and pink and red and orange. But, um, I think it's kind of weird. I don't know if it's something I would want to be seen in public eating, you know, um, cause I, you know, I would never want to do that in public. Um, but you know, and that made me think about, you know, people who do that in public and people who smoke in public and you see pictures of people who are like eating hot dogs in public or whatever. And it's always kind of phallic and sexual. Right. And it got me to thinking about, um, people who make sex tapes and stuff, couples and stuff. And there was a, uh, a couple, um, who made a sex tape. I can't remember. It's a famous couple. Just recently it was on Wendy Williams the other day. I can't remember what couple it was, but they apparently had a sex tape together and they, um, and I always wonder why people do that because I mean, first of all, I can get why it would be hot or whatever and whatever, but the second you make it and you watch it, delete it, erase it, throw it away, do not keep it because inevitably it's going to end up in somebody's hands that you don't want to have it. And especially if you're a celebrity, if you're a celebrity, it's easy to use it against you. Um, if someone, if you break up, your relationship ends or whatever, someone can use that tape against you and put it out in the public and publicize it or sell it for money, especially if you're a celebrity. Um, and so it's really not, you know, a good idea. <laughs> I think it's fun to do, but like I said, just record it. And then as soon as you recorded it, delete it just for fun. You know, I wouldn't save it. I don't care if you put it in the safe or anything. It would just would be like freaky to me. I wouldn't want that to happen uh, to me and my husband. Anyway, um, then there's, um, um, apparently 
this study that says that uh, one in 10 men on Craigslist ads, the, the male for male Craigslist ads, they seek guys who don't identify as gay, meaning they, they seek men who are straight or bisexual or married or whatever, or they don't say. And, you know, this is one of the problems of the gay community. And I, you know, should talk about this because it's like, um, it's been like this as long as I remember, but being a gay man, a lot of times, um, because you're gay, a lot of times as a kid, you're called, you know, sissy or faggot or queer or, or effeminate or whatever. And not every gay man is like that. Not every gay man is effeminate. Um, but some are, and some can't quote unquote pass, as you would say, for being anything other than gay, um, or effeminate. And although I've known heterosexual men, I do mean men who were heterosexual, not just in the closet or something, pretending to be straight, really heterosexual men who really just only have sex with women and they're really effeminate. And it's so weird to me because I'm like, I don't know. It's just weird. I guess I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty open-minded. I am open-minded, but for me, I'm kind of a traditionalist, I guess, in the sense that I think most men, if you're a woman are going to want your man to act more masculine than effeminate. But maybe some women are attracted to that. Maybe some women find effeminate men, heterosexual effeminate men, attractive. Um, I guess apparently Michelle Bachman does. <laughs> anyway, um, but back to the topic of hand, the thing is these guys are looking for men whom they deem to be more masculine or straight acting or, or more dominant or domineering or whatever. They're looking for men like that because that's what they're attracted to, and that's fine. And every guy, every guy, every gay guy is different. Every gay guy likes something different. There are gay men who prefer effeminate men. There are gay men who prefer masculine men. And there are gay men who don't really care. Um, it just depends on the guy. So for me, you know, when I'm dating a guy, I don't care if he's especially, especially masculine or especially effeminate. I just prefer guys who are just normal, like everyday guys, the guy next door type thing, right? I don't want a guy who's so hyper-masculine that he's like, you know, trying to prove something all the time. Cause typically guys who are hypermasculine are trying to prove something, uh, or they're insecure about their sexuality or their masculinity. Um, and it just, it's a turn off to me if they're hypermasculine. I mean, masculinity is hot. Of course I like masculine. It's hot. And it's, whether it's the physique that's, that's masculine, you know, really worked out body or whether it's the male, um, per personality or whatever kind of, um, gender identity, uh, the way it's expressed through men for, for, for most men, you know, is obviously hot too. But, but guys who just try too hard to be masculine and just always, you know, oh, I don't wear, I don't want to wear pink because it's, it's a girl's color or, or I don't want to do, you know, that kind of stuff. It's a turnoff because to me, it just, it just tells me they're insecure. Um, and the same, you know, when it goes to, for the effeminate guys, guys who are exceptionally effeminate, you know, just very effeminate and more girly than, than guy, like well, that's a turnoff to me too. Cause if, I've always said, and many guys have said, if you wanted a girl, you would date one. Um, but I also think that that's not even, even the case either because, because sexuality, because it's so complicated because sexuality is not just about masculine and feminine roles. Obviously you've got transsexuals, you've got, um, you've got lesbians, you've got gay men, you've got uh, bisexuals, pansexual. I mean, you've got sexuality runs the gamut. So what one person may not find attractive, someone else will definitely. Um, so just because I'm not attracted to especially effeminate men or especially highly over, over masculinized men doesn't mean there aren't people who are, and there are, and these guys who are online looking for their, you know, you know, quote unquote, straight acting, uh, men, 
are um, probably the ones who are looking for, who are really turned on by those really hyper-masculine men. But I also think a lot of it has to do possibly with some self-shaming and self-loathing that some gay men have, you know, as I said, a lot of them are picked on as kids. And so as they grow up and begin to see how the world sees them and views them, some of them try to change how they're perceived by the world. And so they start to take on, as I said, these uh, hyper-masculine type of uh, imagery that they've seen and what they have been told is what is a quote-unquote man. So they start to dress more, you know, very hyper-masculine or and act more hypermasculine, lower their voice, just to talk, you know, talk more masculine. So they sound more like a dude, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that. Um, and so they just really try to sound more um, straight and as straight as they can, because being straight is obviously considered to be masculine. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, and then there's the guys who are very feminine here and just like, so I was really, really unhappy about that. But I mean, you know, just really like the syllabus or whatever. Um, so, I mean, there's all, there's both sides to it and one is not right. And one is not wrong per se. It's just that I think, or I feel that if you have to put on a persona to be yourself, you're not being yourself. You know what I mean? If you're having to lower your voice or having to uh, dress a certain way so that people or society will accept you or act a certain way or act or play sports or whatever society's uh, traditional gender roles tell you you should be in order to be accepted, then if that's not who you really are, you're not being true to yourself. And I always advocate being true to yourself regardless of what that is and how society may see you or receive you. So um, I, and I think it's the same that goes to the other side of the coin too. If you are, um, um, a, a lesbian, for example, and you're trying to be ex exceptionally, you know, um, effeminate just be, and when you're not, then that's the same thing. And there are people, there are lesbians who are just extremely effeminate, who are very lis lipstick lesbians. They usually used to say, I don't know if they still say that these days because I'm old, but, um, they used to call them lipstick lesbians because they were the ones that wore makeup and were girly and dressed really and acted that way. Um, and were interested in those types of things. And then we call the other ones dykes or whatever, bull dykes or something, um, or, or butch essentially. <clears throat> and, uh, as long as you are, you know, um, being yourself, whether that's butch or effeminate, whether you're hyper-masculine or, or extremely effeminate male, um, or whatever, something in between, as long as you're being yourself, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. So I think that these guys who go after these men do it simply because they are trying to have some sort of, um, or they have some sort of self-identity crisis or whatever, and they're trying to be, view themselves as being the same thing they're searching for. So if they're searching for someone who's highly masculine, um, being with a man like that makes them feel that way. So I don't know. I don't know. But apparently a lot of the guys looking for, for sex on Craigslist, uh, or one out of 10, 10%, that's not a lot, but 10% of them actively look for guys who don't identify as gay. And I think that that generally is just a homophobic self-loathing thing to do. Um, you know, I've always liked gay men. I've never liked straight men ever. I mean, ever. I mean, I've been like one or two straight guys my entire life that I've been attracted to, but that's because they came on to me. <laughs> so I don't know how straight they were, but I mean, they were, they were married or they were in relationships or whatever. Right. But, um, I, I, I you know, so I don't really consider that them to be straight because they came on to me, but I, um, but generally straight guys are not, you know, I don't, I'm not attracted to straight men at all. I've talked about this before. I just don't have an interest in them. They're, 
you know, and it's it's more of a mindset thing than anything, the physical thing. I mean, there's, of course, there's hot straight guys, of course. I mean, you can name a million celebrities who are um, supposed to be straight that are that are incredibly hot and that I'm attracted to, of course. Um, and that goes for any guy that's straight or whatever that I find attractive. Yes, but I'm not interested in having sex with him or pursuing sex with him because I don't. I've always said my my saying's always been this that I I made this up a long time ago when I was a kid and. Um, is, you know, I don't bark up a tree that bears no fruit. So I'm not interested in or attracted to a man that isn't interested in, in sex with men. I mean, it makes no sense anyway, right? Um, and because when you're with a gay guy, gay guys have a certain mindset about sex. I think gay guys, straight guys don't. And I think also just we have a, a kinship, obviously, an understanding between us, and we're attracted to the same thing and we want the same thing. So it's, you know, um, it makes sense to me. And so it doesn't make sense to me when people who go after people who are straight at all it just doesn't make sense. So I'm going to take a quick, quick break, play this song. I like, um, that you, you probably heard before on the radio recently. It's a, one of the new songs. I think it's out. It's called selfie, uh, by the, um, chain smokers. Be right back. I kept on seeing him look at me while he's with that other girl. Do you think he was just doing that to make me jealous? Because he was totally texting me all night last night, and I don't know if it's a booty call or not. So, like, what do you think? Do you, did you think that girl was pretty? How did that girl even get in here? Do you see her? She's so short, and that dress is so tacky. Who wears cheetah? It's not even summer. Why is the DJ keep on playing summertime sadness? After you go to the bathroom, can we go smoke a cigarette? I really need one. But first, let me take a selfie. She definitely bought all her Instagram followers. Who goes out on Mondays? Okay, let's go take some shots. Oh no, Ugh, I feel like I'm gonna throw up. Oh wait, never mind, I'm fine. Let's go dance. There's no vodka at this table. Do you know anyone else here? Oh my god, Jason just texted me. Should I go home with him? I guess let's take a good selfie.
Okay, so that's selfie. A good song. I like it. Um, hope you liked it too. So um, there is a. Um, hold on a second. I gotta do something real quick here. Where is? You're listening to Off Limits. Sorry, <laughs> pushed the wrong button. Anyway, so there is. Um, there's this really interesting story I read about this uh, kid who came out to his parents. And um, it's very interesting because it's not your typical story. Um, I mean, in some ways it's very typical, but other ways it's it's not, at least the end of the story and what happens. And um, the guy's name is um, Corey, and I don't know his last name, I guess because he's a, he's a minor. He's 16, I think. Um, but uh, he was 15 when this happened, actually. But I want to read you this story. Um, it's probably gonna take me like five minutes to read it to you, but I want to read it to you because it's such a really good, um, story about this, what happened to this kid. So I'm gonna read it to you, uh, for a teenager named Corey, the story not only could have been true, it was true for him. It happened two years earlier, uh, than social media, than the social media for, oh, sorry. Corey did not have an easy life. He was a popular jock guy in high school, but by the age of 15, he had been handed more than his share of abuse. His parents were conservative, religious, on welfare, and dabbled in narcotics. His birth father beat Corey at times and neglected him and others. Corey was raised with a belief that gay people were not only sinners, they were sin itself. His birth father made sure that Corey was aware that gay people all were killed at some point before they reached old age. Corey had been meticulous about keeping his sexual orientation a secret. He was athletic, and he was popular as a, quote, ladies' man. It was all to keep everyone from knowing, he said. Finally, he started telling some of his extended family. Uh, this left him feeling exposed and vulnerable at home. If the subject were to come up, he was no longer in a position of de to deflect and hide as he had been before. Whatever security he had felt before was gone, and his self-doubt and self-loathing were at all-time at all highs. One evening, the issue of sexual orientation came up in a big way. As Corey prepared for an evening at a family relations house, a news story about gay rights came on the television. Corey reacted with a subtle positive endorsement. His birth father exploded. If any fag lived in this house, I would shoot them in the head with a shotgun, he screamed. Corey bolted from the house immediately. He was feeling feverish, scared, and sickened. Did his father know? Was that a threat for him or just a reminder that he lived in a den of hatred? At the party, Corey dr got drunk and physically sicker. He ended back at home, and as fever raged, um, his despair imploded into his gut. His parents, suspicious, ignored him. Several days later, at 2 a.m. in the morning, he was up, unable to sleep, delirious, and suicidal. Across town, a woman named Mindy was closing up her household. Her husband, Dale, was sound asleep with her two sons, as were her two sons. Only her daughter, Aubrey, had the late-night candle burning. As she strolled by Aubrey, who was diligently typing on the computer, Mindy opened her mouth to scoot her daughter off to bed. Suddenly, she was she saw something chilling on the computer screen over her daughter's shoulder written in the chat box was the statement. I am desperate. Things are here are so bad. I want to slip my wrists. I'm not kidding. Mindy dove in head first. Who is that? She asked Aubrey. Aubrey told her that it was Corey whom she had met when he had taken Aubrey to homecoming dance. Aubrey explained that he was sick, but his parents were ignoring him much to Aubrey's shock. Mindy declared, we're going to get him. Some mama grizzly instinct took over, said Mindy. It was like I was possessed by somebody else. I knew I needed to act and to do something, but everything I did was against my nature and not how I usually act as a person. 
40 minutes later, Mindy and Aubrey were at the trailer in which Corey lived with his family. He came out and got in the van. His father wandered out and demanded to know what Mindy was doing. The normally honest to a fault Mindy heard herself telling a lie. In a casual, nonchalant demeanor, especially one for almost three in the morning, she heard herself say, Oh, hi. Sorry to disturb. We had invited Corey to go to the mountains with us. We thought an early start would be best. Corey's birth father turned flirty and asked Mindy uh, when she was going to take him to the mountains. Mindy laughed coyly, playing the part, and flirted right back. After a few minutes, the van was on its way with Corey in it. When they returned home, Mindy was in for the biggest shock of the night. When Corey walked into the light, she could see he was almost blue. He had pneumonia, and she knew without her intervention he would likely have died. For Dale, he was just mystified. I came downstairs in the morning to cook breakfast, and there was this kid sleeping on my couch. He hadn't been there when I went to bed. For the next few weeks, Corey's birth parents did not even inquire as to where he was. Finally, nursed back to health, he returned home, and the growing awareness of his homosexuality again became the unspoken issue. Finally, he decided to confide in his mother. He figured that she was oppressive, oppressed excuse me, and passive and likely to keep it to herself. That was not the case. She called Corey's birth father, who stormed home and broke into the house, railing at the top of his lungs. He was yelling and screaming about how a fag was living in his home, and he couldn't believe the devil was in his presence. I locked myself in my room when my brother came home. The first thing my father did was tell him about how his brother was nothing but a worthless fag, Corey recalled. All three family members tried to break into his bedroom for hours. Later, they retreated, and Corey escaped to the bathroom with a much stronger door and lock. He sat in a corner of the bathroom with his possessions in a paper bag, afraid for his life. In the wee hours of the morning, when the three had passed out, he escaped the house, never to return. He went back to his friend Aubrey's house. This time, it was not just Aubrey and Mindy to his rescue— Dad Dale and brothers Andrew and Mason all stepped up as they had during his illness. The family had come to love him. For them, he belonged. He was home. They did not find out, they did not know at first that he was gay. They just understood that he needed them. When they did find out that he was gay and had been driven from his former home because of it, it did not matter, not even to conservative Dad Dale. They already loved him, and for some unapparent reason, they seemed to need him too. The family met together so that each person could have his or her say. It was unanimous. Every single person wanted Corey to stay permanently. Dale described what happened next. Initially, we set Corey's bedroom up in our basement. We gathered what we could since he didn't bring anything with him. His first bedroom in our home was made of walls with moving blankets tacked to the ceiling. There was a bed, a nightstand, an old dresser, and a box fan. That kid was so freaking happy. I think that moment really made Aubrey, uh, Andrew and Mason appreciate what they have. Made me cry to see Corey with next to nothing and to be happy about it. The next year was a challenge for all involved. Almost done. Um, At first, his birth family created noise. The small community also backlashed against Corey's new family. Andrew and Aubrey were both taunted at school for for going after a gay brother and some of Mindy and Dale's family and friends out and out rejected them. Um, Corey stood strong and inspired his new family to do so as well. Dale stated, I had issues growing up and I wish I'd been as strong as Corey to stand up for myself when I was a teenager. Corey has taught me a lot. The family got a court date. They were extremely nervous and had documented all the events leading up to the adoption. They watched the 
door of the courtroom waiting for their adversaries to arrive. They waited and watched. Time passed. Corey's birth family did not show up. They had, not, they had no apparent argument to contest the adoption, no concern. Their offspring was gay, and they signaled that they were perfectly willing to adopt him out as a consequence. For Corey, Mindy, Dale, Aubrey, Andrew, and Mason, the day became known as Gotcha Day. A family got Corey, and he got them. Aubrey, Andrew, and Mason became tireless advocates for Corey and LGBT rights in general. 11 years old, Mason, who previously had been disinterested in things outside of a little boy's world, made a rainbow freedom art project that he dedicated to his new big brother. Mindy described the events of the past three years. She said, I want the world to know that Corey is a beautiful human being. I want them to know that any pain we went through or will go through is worth it. Why is it worth it? Because love is the most powerful force. I want the world to see Corey's pain and know what is not necessary. Sexuality is such a small part of who we are. First and foremost, Corey is a loving, genuine, caring, intelligent human being. Who he is attracted to and who he marries is of little significance. I'm certain his partner will be as kind and as loving as himself. Isn't that what this world needs? I want the world to know that standing out for people who can't stand up for themselves is vital to our survival. Standing up for what is right is not always easy, but is always right. Our family fell in love with Corey for Corey. His sexuality did not change who he was. I also want the world to know that we are a family. I want people to understand that genetics are just science and families are built from unconditional love. For Dale, it is a little simpler. He told me that he still sees Corey's birth father around their small town. He said he knows how to put on a front. He smiles and acts like nothing is a big deal. He says, thanks. Appreciate what you did, what you're doing for my boy. In those encounters, Dale does not say much. He turns and walks away. Quietly and audibly, he whispers, I have news for you. He's not your boy. He's my son. So anyway, that's the story. I think that's an amazingly, amazingly good story, an amazingly uplifting and positive story and of something that really started off as a horrible, horrible, um, horrible, horrible um, um what's the word? Situation. Um, and I think that it just goes to show you that, um, first of all, for those of you listening who may be teenagers, um, out there and you feel alone, you feel isolated and you have parents that are similar to these or not as bad as they are probably, but, or maybe worse, I don't know, um, that there's always going to be, um, a better, it gets better as they say, as this campaign says, there's always going to be um, a silver lining eventually. I know it doesn't seem that way when you're mired in it. And especially for kids, you know, I know when I was a teenager, before I came out, I was afraid about coming out to my mom and my family, but I wasn't like terrified. I knew I liked who I, I liked who I was and knew who I was and it was who I was. I knew my mom loved me and it wasn't easy at first for her, but, um, and for the extended family at all. But I, had to stand strong in, in who I was as a human being and not live my life to please other people. And that's how everyone needs to live their life. And if you're in the, if you're able to stand up for someone else's rights and someone else's life, like this family did for Corey, um, for God's sakes, do it. It's not easy as she said, and she made a point to say to do the right thing all the time. But as she said, it's always going to be the right thing. And, um, I, you know, if, if I, I wish I, you know, had the ability to adopt every single uh, kid out there who's kicked out of their, their home and had a huge mansion, I could keep them all in. I would, because I seriously, I seriously would. Um, and you know, this is one reason why I've been 
more and more considering adoption as opposed to surrogacy, just despite the costs, obviously, of surrogacy, but also the fact that that there are so many kids who need homes out there um, in similar situations. And I would love to adopt a gay a gay daughter or a gay son that would be able to raise them in a gay family. I think that would be an amazing, amazing um, thing because that way they'd be able to never, ever fear um, being themselves and they'd be able to um, grow up with a self of affirmation, um, not only self affirmation, but affirmation from their family. And even if it's not us that were to adopt a gay kid, if it's another family like this family of Mindy, a heterosexual couple that is willing to accept him a hundred percent for whom what he is and have af- and affirm him for who and what he is, that's equally as good to me. So um, whether my kid's gay or straight, whatever I end up with, and whenever I adopt one. I'm going to love him or her for whatever they are, whomever they turn out to be, because I think that's the duty of a parent. It's to love your children no matter what they are. Unconditional love. That's what it means to have unconditional love for someone. And that's what I have from my mother. I've always had from her. And it's it's more valuable than gold, I'm telling you. Um, to have a, a parent who loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you are, loves you, truly loves you, not just putting on a front and pretending to love you, accepts you, loves you 100%, accepts you 100% for who and what you are. And I think that's the duty of any parent. So I hope that if any of you are, you know, hopefully maybe expecting someday to have kids, that you will um, love your children as much as this this adopted mother loves this guy, because I think it's an amazing story. So Don't let me take a quick break before we wrap up. Be right back after this. What's up? It's Pickles. Leave a message. Hey, I'm calling you back. Ooh, she's been a bitch tonight. And by bitch, I mean this rain. No cab, nowhere. So I had to put on the wigs and the heels and the lashes and the ear and take the train to the club. You know the MTA should stand for motherfuckers touching my ass. So then I get to the club, looking like a drowned, harassed rat, and am greeted, not by Miss Rose at the door, but our friend Johnny Five-O. Yes, honey, the NYPD shut down the party. So no be for me. I don't even know what's the key. Let's have a kiki. I wanna have a kiki. Lock the doors. Hey. Let's have a kiki, motherfucker. I'm gonna let you have it. Let's have a kiki. I wanna have a kiki. Die, turn, work. Let's have a kiki. We are gonna serve and work and turn and hunt, hunt, honey.
wonderful Kiki. This Kiki is Let's have a kiki by the Sister Sisters. Good song. <clears throat> so before I wrap up real quick, I wanted to say that um, that uh, Madonna is now back in the studio. She's been back in the studio for a while now, and um, she's been um, doing what her she usually does, trying to shock people or be provocative. And she's always provocative, but you know, I she, she's one of my favorite one of my favorite artists of all time, of course. And um, she's the problem I have with Madonna is that she tries way too hard. <laughs> she's 55 years old and she still tries to act as if she's 25 years old and it just doesn't look good on her. You know, it's fine for her to want to be surrounded by people who are, the, and I understand what she's doing. She always surrounds her She's always done this. She always surrounds herself with people that are on the cutting edge or people who are up and coming or artists. I mean, producers, artists, whatever musicians that are, up and coming, and she integrates that into her music and her, and they work together to collaborate onto an album. That's how she always does it, and she always cross pollinates producers. She uses like one or two producers from the previous album, and then a new producer for the new one, for the rest of it. And that's fine, but she always has like she was this releasing those stupid pictures with herself with the grills. She's too old for grills. It looks stupid on any person anyway, especially a fifty-five-year-old woman. And then she re- recently released a picture of herself, you know, with her armpits. Um, not shaven, but it really wasn't her armpits aren't, aren't shaven. I think it looked like it was a mustache she stuck on there or something to make it look like it was hair in her arm. So, I mean, it really is. She did that actually when she was um, like before she was really, really famous, you know, when she was coming, becoming famous, she did everything, everybody, I mean, everybody, that song um, and borderline or whatever before she did, right when she was about to do those or around the time she did those, she didn't have shaved armpits. And so, um, it's something new, but I mean, she needs to stop trying to chase her youth and just, just embrace herself for who and what she is. And so, you know, as we get, I mean, we think about getting older and growing old gracefully instead of trying to rail against it so hard. Um, it's a losing battle. No one can ever win against age because we're talking about gravity here. Okay. Gravity is what makes us age and our muscles sag and our faces, our skin wrinkle and all those things. It's gravity and, and over time that makes it happen to us. And, um, we lose elasticity and things like that. And that's why 
you can't fight against getting older. I mean, you can get plastic surgery, you can you can um, have fillers and Botox and all those things. You can stay in shape. You can do all of those things, and you can look the best you can for your age. But you cannot ever recapture your youth. It's just impossible. And people are always chasing their youth as if it's something to hold on to. And I don't think it is. I don't think youth is something that's so amazingly great. I mean, there are great aspects to it. But there are great aspects of being older as well. For example, when you're younger, when you're younger, you are um, usually your most beautiful self, your most beautiful self, you know, the best skin you've had in your life, the best body you've had in your life, typically, um, the best um, everything, the best hair, you know, the most hair, whatever. You typically look your best in your 20s, most people. And not everybody, of course, there are exceptions to that rule. But I'm saying for the most part, people's bodies are in their best shape of their lives in their 20s. And um, uh, you're also in your 20s, you have this um, ability to dream. You have this um, limitless uh, sense of possibilities for yourself because you've never done anything yet. You haven't established who you are in the world. You haven't made concrete, solid choices about your future. You've only um, had ideas and dreams and you're only beginning to just start to put them into place. Um, so whether, whether it's your career or whatever it is you want for yourself, like if it's a family or love or whatever, you're just beginning to get at your feet wet. And so you have endless, limitless possibilities for your life. And so you have this, this it's just this feeling of hope you have, this feeling of the sense of accomplishment. You can do whatever you want, right? When you're that age. I remember what that felt like. That's a great, that's a great feeling. It's a wonderful thing, but it's supposed to be when you're young and that's why it's there because you don't know a lot. And the, the negative side of being um, old, uh, young is that you don't have much money generally, unless you're independently wealthy because you inherited it from your family or you're some famous celebrity or something, obviously. But I'm saying for most of us, you're not independently wealthy. You have to work for your money. You have to work shitty jobs. You have to go to school if you're smart and go to college and, and, and educate yourself or whatever it is you want to do in life and to figure out who you're going to be. I mean, you have these pressures and things still. Um, but when you're older, you have the good things about being older are, yeah, you don't look as good as you did as a kid or necessarily, um, you don't have the same great skin, all the good hair and the great, um, metabolism and things you have as a youth, but you have money, you've established yourself. If you have money, if you're fortunate and you've been smart, I mean, and you've saved and you've invested and you've actually, um, accomplish something with your career, hopefully, um, then you have, you have money, you have a place of your own, a home, hopefully you own, you have stability, you have, you have, um, security, you have, uh, established friendships you've had for many years, hopefully as I do, you have, um, you have uh, kids, maybe you have family, possibly you have a career that you are proud of and you're trying to actually make it in. And so, I mean, you have all these things that you don't have as a youth that you can't have as a youth because you haven't lived long enough to achieve them, most people. So it is a trade-off. Yes, youth is great in some ways, but it also sucks because you're stupid as fuck. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. You don't know anything. You're figuring out everything for yourself. I would never in a million years want to be a 20-year-old again. Never. You couldn't pay me enough. And that's the truth. Not even to look like I did at 20 years old when I was, I had a really perfect perfection. I mean, I was in really great shape and everything. And so I, nothing, nothing, I, nothing you could do could make me go back to that age and be stupid and naive and did not know what I know now. 
because it honestly is power to have knowledge. Wisdom is power. Knowledge is power. And that's something that you, the young people don't have, generally speaking, is wisdom. I'm not saying they're not, they're all stupid and they're not wise in their own way in some, some ways, depending on what they've experienced in a lifetime, obviously. But I'm saying they don't have the things I mentioned to you earlier as an older adult. And I think that those things are so important and to me, uh, far exceed wanting to be, uh, young and look perfection, like perfection again. But I think people are so obsessed these days and, um, have always been to some degree, but I mean, it seems to be getting worse and worse. People are obsessed with looking perfect and looking like their pictures and looking like, you know what I mean? Looking like that frozen moment of time when you take one great picture and people expect you to look that, that, like that all the time. And, or people, um, you know, expect you to always say the same. I know, you know, sometimes I watch movies and stuff with actors and actresses that I saw as a kid and I haven't seen them in a long time or something. And I see them I'm like, Oh my God, they're so old. And it's because your mind, and I'm guilty of this as well. In your mind, people stay the same as the last time you saw them or, or you have a certain image of someone in your brain. It just stays in there. And so you expect them to always look that way. It's like looking at Mark Hamill from, um, from Star Wars when he was Luke Skywalker and when he was young in the 70s. And now what he looks like now, it's like, it's like night and day. And it is for most people because we age, we get old, we get ugly, we get fat, we get skinny, I mean, we get uh, wrinkly and all those things. We fight against it, we try, but it's always going to be the way it's going to be. So... My advice is if you're getting older, like I am, I'll be 39 in June, um, then you're getting older, you need to embrace it and accept it and, and move into that phase of your life and, not, and stop trying to chase your youth. As I know, God, I know so many people who are like that, who are just obsessed with being young and looking young and trying to be young like Madonna. And, you know, instead of just embracing who and what they are and acknowledging the beauty and the uh, grace and the um, honor of being old. Because as I say, not everybody gets the opportunity or the is um, fortunate enough to ever be old. Some people don't get to grow old. Some people die young and they don't ever get to experience the other side of life, which is the rest of their lives. Um, so if you're old enough, you're in your 50s and your 60s and 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, be accepting of that and love yourself regardless, because it's important to realize that you're fortunate to get the chance to grow old at all. So some of us aren't that lucky. So that's all I have to say tonight on Gay Mass. I hope you had a great show. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you have a great night. I'll be back later in the week with um, Brain Purge and Acoustic Mass. So I hope to see you then, guys, or hear from you again or whatever. <laughs> Good night. Planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVic coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your Vic card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVic coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVic and Harris Teeter fuel points. 